You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, January 20th, 2022. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ellie Shannon. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I go over updates in campus news and explain how Chrisman Airfield is honoring a deceased World War II veteran. I go over new updates in COVID-19, and we hear from the Speaking Well podcast about health at all sizes. After that, CODA updates listeners on the status of former President Donald Trump's request to block a House panel from accessing White House records, and we hear from Anton Schindler about the National League Central in his podcast, Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler. After that, Eliza Droder gives an overview on CSU athletics, and we hear from Piper Russell of the Collegian about her recent article describing a new engineering program for students intending to transfer to CSU. To conclude today's show, Koda explains some updates on technology with information on the use of spyware by Israeli authorities and more. Let's move right into campus and local news. This is Ellie Shannon with your campus and local news for Thursday. It is Colorado State University's first week of the semester. Extremely icy conditions caused CSU's public safety team to announce that all classes after 3 p.m. Wednesday were canceled. And last night, the Rams men's basketball team won against New Mexico University by just six points. Thursday morning, classes beginning prior to 10 a.m. were also canceled. CSU and the Colorado Community College System recently signed an agreement to partner on a new associate in engineering science degree, according to Piper Russell of the Collegian. The degree will help community college students transfer directly into CSU's mechanical engineering program. It has always been an option for community college students to transfer into the mechanical engineering program, but some students didn't have the necessary prerequisites to begin with CSU's program. Russell also reported that the Fort Collins Area Chamber of Commerce also gave a financial gift to help community college students who transfer to CSU for a mechanical engineering degree. Additional degrees are already being considered. Later in the show, Piper Russell will give us a bit more on her story. CSU has updated their COVID-19 policies for the spring 2022 semester. With the Omicron variant spreading rapidly, even in vaccinated individuals, CSU is expecting a wave of the variant in the next coming weeks. CSU is implementing a booster vaccine requirement for students, staff, and faculty working on campus. The university is also requiring that any exempt unvaccinated students, staff, or faculty get saliva tests twice a week. If you feel that you have any symptoms, please report it to the COVID-19 reporter in RamWeb. Now on to our local news. Flyovers and drone demos are scheduled for Sunday, January 23rd to commemorate World War II Airman Burt Chrisman. A Fort Collins native, Chrisman was one of the first American pilots to lose his life in World War II, and to commemorate him, Chrisman Airfield will have the flyovers at noon on the 23rd. According to Allison Sill of the Collegian, Chrisman was recruited to join the American Volunteer Group of the Chinese Air Force, which is better known as the Flying Tigers. Fellow Flying Tigers will be flying along with other aviators at Sunday's commemoration at Chrisman Airfield. For more information on the event, visit collegian.com. On Tuesday, KCSU reported about Fort Collins City Council and their decision to not enforce the U plus 2 rule to marshal fire victims while they are seeking housing assistance in the wake of the fire. The U plus two rule states that one resident and no more than two unrelated people can live together. 
Fort Collins City Council has now decided to go a different route in helping the victims after residents criticized the plan. According to J.C. Marmaduke of the Coloradoan, Fort Collins resident Michelle Hayfell said during public comment, quote, This effort seems to be a cynical attempt to advance an agenda, undoing U plus two. That really has nothing to do with fire victims, end quote. The new resolution is expected at Council's February 15th meeting. McWinney, a fully integrated real estate development, investment, and management company, announced that they are planning to drill 26 oil and gas wells in Loveland's Centera Center. The popular shopping center will see the wells' heads in the most densely populated areas, according to J.C. Marmaduke of the Coloradoan. Troy McWinney, the founder of McWinney, held a meeting for questions or concerns, where about 460 people attended. McWinney also plans to use fracking for all of the wells. Marmaduke stated that over the last week, many Loveland residents encouraged Loveland City Council to place a moratorium on oil and gas development or otherwise impede the oil and gas operations from taking place near homes and natural resources. At Loveland City Council meeting on Tuesday, Loveland's Mayor Jackie Marsh and City Council and City Councilor Andrea Sampson proposed that an expert panel on oil and gas discuss the topic with the council, but that motion failed. For more information and updates on this story, visit coloradoan.com. Thanks for listening to my campus and local news updates for the Rocky Mountain Review. Make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM. And if you missed my newscast or want to listen back to any part of today's episode, download the KCSU app or search KCSU News wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is the Red Scare, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Thursday. Colorado State University is currently seeing a severe increase in COVID-19 cases, which may be underestimated if students test through the county and do not report to the university. The university reports over 5,800 cases of COVID-19, a jump of over 200 cases since classes started. Wednesday, 12 students and 6 faculty and staff members tested positive for COVID-19. Larimer County reports a high-risk score for COVID-19, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report high levels of community transmission. The county reports over 64,000 cases of COVID-19, along with 425 deaths. 
The seven-day case rate for Larimer County is nearly 1,400 per 100,000 residents, which is higher than it was at any point last semester. Over 100 patients receive care in local hospitals, which report that intensive care units are at 112% capacity. In the past week, more than one in four COVID-19 tests came back positive in the county. In high-risk periods, the county recommends the following precautions. Get vaccinated and boosted against COVID-19 if you have not already. Wear masks indoors when people from outside your household are present. Masks should fit snug, and KN95 masks are especially recommended. Monitor yourself for COVID-19 symptoms and stay home even if your symptoms are mild. Get tested immediately if you notice any symptoms of COVID-19. If you test positive, seek treatment and isolate. Postpone all indoor gatherings, and in the case that it cannot be postponed, require that all attendees be vaccinated. Consider limiting the number of invited households present, and move activities outside if possible. Employers are encouraged to promote remote work options for employees where possible. The county also reminds residents to continue practicing social distancing. The state of Colorado reports 1.1 million cases of COVID-19 and is nearing 11,200 deaths. 54,000 receive treatment in Colorado's hospitals, which in many cases lack the capacity to care for more critical care patients. 9.9 million total vaccines were administered in the state by Wednesday night, and over 3.8 million Coloradans are fully immunized against COVID-19. The U.S. reports a total of over 67.9 million COVID-19 cases and over 850,000 deaths. Nearly 80% of people over the age of 5 are vaccinated with at least one dose, but community transmission is high nationwide. For more information on vaccines, boosters, and more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. That's all for Thursday's COVID-19 updates. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you're a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine results, schedule saliva screenings, and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. Today, I'm joined by Andrea Willis, an expert on the topic of Google technology. We're going to be discussing some of Google's new products. Once again, I'm Cutta Babcock, and you're tuned in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Thanks for joining me today, Andrea. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get into the specifics of each product, uh, would you mind going over the major announcement when it comes to Google's new hardware? Yes. So yesterday, we just announced Google's latest phones, the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. These are our most innovative, smartest, fastest phones that we've ever made. So I'm really excited to talk to you about how the phones and our other products can be helpful to your listeners. All right. And then moving specifically into the Google Pixel. Um, so the Google Pixel advertises how the phone is able to learn and evolve based on its user. So can you explain how this is different from other phones and what exactly this entails when it comes to the software? Yes. So like we talked about, this is a really smart phone. So that goes from how to take photos to how to help with your day-to-day -day life. So for instance, a couple of really helpful features uh, include things like wait times. So we all need to call businesses to see what their hours are. Do they carry what we need? This phone is able to determine when the best time is for you to call. So whether you should stay on the line, whether you should call back tomorrow afternoon, for instance, um, based on the wait times. 
So that's really helpful for specific users. And then we also have an awesome feature called Live Translate that I think is really fun for people too. So if you're chatting with a friend or a family member who is texting in a different language, we're able to offer you translations um, so that you can automatically reply in that language, whether it's Italian or Japanese. Um, so it's really fun. And to your point, it can be you know, fine-tuned to the user. And then moving more into the software end, with the release of Google's new Android 12 operating system, there's a lot of visual changes from the previous Android version, at least from what I was noticing. So can you go over some of these changes? Yes. So for Android 12, um, it's really an intuitive user interface. So for instance, you change the home screen um, with a new photo will automatically change the widgets and the design for people who are you know, very into aesthetics so that it matches really well. Um, so we're really excited about that interface just from like a beautiful aesthetic perspective. Um, things are going to be kind of much more in tune with each other. And then we've also built a new privacy dashboard into our phones. So for instance, if um, you want to know what apps are collecting your data, you can see exactly what that data is and you can opt in or out of the collection of that data. So we're really excited that from a software perspective, both from an aesthetic viewpoint and also from a security viewpoint, we're really giving our consumers the best to date. So will Android users still be able to maintain the previous edition if they aren't quite ready for that change yet? So you should be able to maintain your previous editions, but the phone does suggest that you automatically update just so that you get the most optimal experience. All right. And then moving into Google's new home security options, can you explain how the Nest cams are different from other doorbells and cameras like those offered by Amazon or by home security specialty companies? Yes. So our Nest Cam is really smart technology. Um, so whether you want to be in your office, you want to be outdoors on a hike, you know, out and about, you can keep tabs on who's coming to your home. So that's anyone from an animal to a person to a vehicle. Um, and you can get alerts for any of those things if you need to keep tabs. Another feature that we think is really unique and that we're excited about is the speaker function within our cameras. So if there's an intruder or someone that you feel like should not be on your doorstep, you can be anywhere. You get an alert on your phone and you can actually speak out so that the person knows that you are detecting their presence. All right. And then how would you address someone who is nervous about using Google's home security devices due to privacy concerns since that is super important to Google in general? Yes, privacy is extremely important to us. Um, so I would say, you know, we are not sharing this data. All of the video and audio events that we capture on the home devices are stored locally. So they're staying on that device. We're not sending them anywhere. They require a Google account. Um, so we think that that also helps with the security aspect because it's tying back to your secure Google accounts as well. And then another piece of technology that Google is introducing is the equitable camera. So Google acknowledged how cameras are often made with white skin and other light skin tones as the focus. Can you explain how Google's worked to create a camera that really takes a more diverse and darker set of skin tones into account when creating these images? Yes, this is a feature that we are extremely proud of. It's called Real Tone. And what we did was 
we worked with experts. So photography experts in the space who capture really beautiful images of people of color. And we got them to test out our camera and to give us real and honest feedback about how to make it better so that no matter you know your skin tone, you're getting the same experience with our camera and getting beautiful shots. So you can use that in our new Pixel 6 phones. Uh, it's a feature called Auto Enhance. Um, and we're really excited for people to use it. It's also gonna be rolling out to our previous phones. Um, so we're really excited um, for people to experience it. All right. And then on the topic of equity, in your opinion, how do you think Google is performing compared to other tech companies when it comes to accessibility and equity? You know, this is always top of mind for us in terms of our products. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about with real tone. So we know that we're building products for you know, diverse users across the world. So it's important for us to not only work internally at Google, but to also consult experts just like we did with Real Tone to ensure that we're being inclusive um, and that we're asking for real feedback about how to improve our products to make sure that people are really represented. And then on that topic of improving products, um, do you think there are any additional steps that Google should take in the future when it comes to working to serve its customer base? You know, technology is always changing. And so I think that's something that we also think about with these new Pixel phones. So a cool feature is that we're going to do automatic software updates every few months. So, you know, oftentimes people, you know, buy a new phone every two years because of the rapid pace of technolo technological change. We're trying to get ahead of that by, you know, constantly updating this phone automatically. So we think things like this are a really great investment because you know, we're committing to working with the user to constantly update the interface versus you having to buy a new phone you know, every couple of years. And then as a college station, we often like to emphasize working experiences. So would you consider your job to be one where equity and accessibility are also a focus within the workplace as well as within these new technologies? Absolutely. So in addition to our products, we're also constantly trying to help our consumers um, and to bring everyone, you know, to the table, help everyone um, experience things in an equitable way. One of the programs that we work on is Grow with Google that we're really proud of. This is how we um, provide free tools and training to teach people on digital skills. So that's one way that we actually use our products to help people um, learn skills that's going to help them grow their skills, their career, their businesses. I think it's great for college students to take a look at. You can go to grow.google.com to learn more because um, we have a ton of free resources um, to help in areas and to help to learn to use our products better. All right. And then do you have anything that you would like to add about Google or any of these new products today? Yes. If you want to check out more about the products we discussed you can go to store.google.com. All right. Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Again, I just spoke to Andrea Willis from Google about their new technology announcements. If you missed any part of this interview, be sure to check out our website at kcsufm.com slash news for the full episode. You can also search KCSU News on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to find full episodes. We'll be right back.
For the rest of this podcast, visit kcsufm.com slash podcast or look up Speaking Well on Spotify. Support for KCSU comes from Chiba Hut. Chiba Hut Toasted Subs is a cannabis-themed restaurant with three locations in Fort Collins and two close to campus. Ordering is available online for pickup or delivery. For locations and a menu, visit ChibaHut.com. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News for January 20th. After phone carriers reduced the rollout of 5G service, airlines still were forced to ground planes as a result of interference. According to John Gambrell and David Koenig at the Associated Press, 5G technology currently creates issues for technology used to measure altitudes in some planes, specifically for international flights, which rely on wide-bodied Boeing models like the 777. These airlines either had to switch planes or cancel many flights, while airlines that use Airbus jets experienced less issues. Wednesday night, over 300 flights were reported to be canceled. This is under 5% of the total number of flights scheduled that night, with cancellations still less significant than those faced by travelers in the 2021 holiday season. AT&T and Verizon worked with airlines previously to reduce the rollout of 5G to prevent larger disruptions for air travel. Consumers feel that the issue still could have been prevented had mobile providers worked to test the issue before it impacted flights. After former President Donald Trump asked the Supreme Court to block the House committee looking into the January 6th insurrection from accessing White House records, the Supreme Court upheld an appeals court decision to deny executive privacy privileges to a former president. According to Krishnadev Kalamar at National Public Radio, only one official, Justice Clarence Thomas, dissented in the decision. Now that the panel has access to these records, they are currently pursuing phone records and other pieces of evidence that may help investigate the events that led up to and occurred during the Capitol uprising. NPR will continue to update this story, so feel free to check out that story on NPR.org. The University of Michigan is paying out $490 million in a sexual abuse settlement to over 1,000 people. According to Reuters, the settlement comes as a result of claims against a former university sports doctor. The claims span decades, and male athletes were the primary targets of Dr. Robert Anderson. $30 million in additional funds are placed on hold for victims who have not yet come forward so long as they do so by July 31, 2023. Anderson died in 2008, but worked at the University of Michigan for athletic programs from 1966 until 2003. Michigan experienced another university lawsuit in 2018 after Michigan State University settled with hundreds of women who were abused by U.S. gymnastics physician Larry Nassar. Allegations against Anderson involved medically unnecessary exams, such as rectal and testicular exams. 
At a news conference Wednesday, President Joe Biden addressed that the COVID-19 pandemic has taken a mental and physical toll on Americans, saying that he still believes his administration has outperformed expectations when dealing with the pandemic. According to Zeke Miller and Josh Boak at the Associated Press, the president also said that his infrastructure bill would likely continue to change as Congress works for bipartisan approval. Biden expects key features of the infrastructure package to pass through Congress prior to midterms later this year. When addressing the pandemic, Biden said, quote, After almost two years of physical, emotional, and psychological impacts of this pandemic, for many of us, it's been too much to bear, end quote. When looking to his administration's success, he said that he'd exceeded what anyone thought could be accomplished in the midst of such an exhausting time for the American people. That's all for national news. I'm Kuta Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU Fort Collins. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 36 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. First, an update on the now half-a-month-old MLB lockout. It looks pretty obvious now that there is truly only one thing that is keeping this labor dispute alive between the players and the owners, and it's money. Initially, it was believed that much of the dispute had to deal with money, as well as various proposed rule changes and similar items. However, a couple of weeks ago, the MLB commissioner, Rob Manford, decided that any talks about any specific rule change proposals would be dismissed. During one of the press conferences, Manfred went on to say, Based on the discussions at the table, we saw it as another contentious issue and tried to put it to one side in an effort to get to an agreement, on the theory that we could deal with it midterm of the next agreement. So, is it good that the labor dispute will leave the rule changes out of the way? Well, the way I see it, there are some positives and there's some negatives. I mean, just in the past year, there were approximately 97 different rule experiments instituted in all forms of professional baseball, from the major leagues to single-A baseball, rookie ball, that kind of thing. Not talking at all about these rules could mean that the game probably just won't change very much, and things like extended playoffs and the universal DH will just cease to exist, at least for now. It could be good, however, as it's just one less thing to argue over, and it may speed up the lockout, giving us baseball sooner than we initially thought. So, we'll continue to keep an eye on it for now, and I'll give you more updates as it develops. Anyway, let's hop into this week's episode, where we'll break down the best player of all time from each team in the National League Central. Now, the National League Central has some of the oldest teams in baseball, well, save the Milwaukee Brewers. So, this division is going to be quite a challenge to really find the best of the best players. So, let's just hop right into it. Let's start with the oldest team on this list, the Chicago Cubs. Well, despite the curse, the Cubs have seen a lot of really impressive talent over their 146 seasons. In the 60s, the Cubs had Hall of Famers Ron Santo, Billy Williams, and Mr. Cub Ernie Banks. In the late 80s, Ryan Sandberg and Sammy Sosa became legends in the Chicago area for their incredible work at the plate and on the field. 
but there are a few outliers, of course. So let's start with Cap Anson. Anson played 27 years at the big league level, from 1871 to 1897. Only one other player, Nolan Ryan, played that many years in the big leagues. He started his career at the age of 19 and played until he retired at age 45, just to put it into context for you. In this 27-year stretch, Anson played 22 seasons with the Cubs, producing some unbelievable statistics. 3,012 hits, 1,722 runs, and 1,880 RBIs. Looking at his 331 batting average and his 396 on base percentage with the Cubs, it's easy to tell that Anson was one of the greatest hitters ever to set foot on the diamond before the 1900s. Anson's 84.7 war puts him right at the very top of this list. But what about some of the other guys that I mentioned a little bit before? Well, with the Cubs, Ron Santo collected 2,171 hits in his 14 seasons with the Cubs, as well as a very respectable 337 home runs. Not to mention, the Seattle-produced third baseman had five Gold Glove Awards on his way to nine All-Star Game appearances. And what about Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks? I mean, I think you could argue that Ernie would, at the very least, win the fans' vote for their favorite Cub of all time. Ernie played 19 years with the Cubs and clubbed his way to plenty of milestones in that time. For example, Ernie is in the 2,500-hit club with his 2,583 hits, and he's also in the 500-home run club with his 512 home runs that he sent over the wall. A 274 batting average, coupled with his 1,636 RBIs, led the infielder to 14 All-Star games, two MVP awards, and a gold glove as well. And to be honest with you, we're only scratching the surface of the Cubs' greats. I mean, after all, the Cubs do have 14 Hall of Fame inductees in their history. But the team that we're going to talk about next has 18 inductees. And it's the St. Louis Cardinals. The 140 season old Cardinals have seen a lot of success with a truly long list of impressive players. There's a reason why 14 of their players have their jersey numbers retired up in the rafters. One of which is the three-time MVP, two-time player of the year, and Hall of Famer Stan Musial. In his time in the league, Stan had a career 331 batting average in his 22 seasons with the Cards. Stan also had 3,630 hits and led the league in hits seven times, earning him seven batting titles. Musial went to the All-Star Game 24 times and helped the Cardinals win three World Series titles in 1942, 1944, and 1946. His absolutely incredible 128.7 war, the 11th best in history, puts him at the top of this list for the Cardinals. But I kind of struggled making this decision. You see, some of the guys that we've talked about in the past, like Bob Gibson and Lou Brock, find themselves pretty high on this list as well. 
as Gibson had 251 wins in a Cardinals uniform, as well as an ERA title and two Cy Young awards. Brock, on the other hand, had just over 3,000 hits and two World Series rings. But I think the closest competition to Musial would be Rogers Hornsby. Hornsby had a career 358 batting average in his 23 years in the big leagues, third best in the history of baseball, by the way. But even though Hornsby spent most of his career with the Cardinals, in which he played 13 seasons, he kind of moved around the league a little bit, especially towards the end of his career, logging time with four other teams. Therefore, I think as far as Cardinals legends go, Musial takes the cake. Next up, we have the Cincinnati Reds, who, during the time of the Big Red Machine, had a group of players that were just truly unstoppable. One of them, Pete Rose, really stood out above the rest. Pete played 19 seasons with the Reds and helped to lead them to two World Series titles. The MVP Award, Rookie of the Year Award, and World Series MVP Award winner really did everything. I mean, not only did he play more games than anyone else, he had more plate appearances, more at-bats, and get this, more hits than anyone in the history of baseball has ever been able to get close to. Rose's 4,256 career hits earned him a silver slugger and three batting titles, as the switch hitter became one of the game's true Ironmans. Another truly necessary part of the Big Red Machine is Johnny Bench, whose hands were so big that he could hold seven baseballs in one hand. (laughs) The Hall of Famer had 10 gold gloves and was the league's MVP twice because of it. Bench is still one of the greatest catchers of all time, but one thing that really helps him stand out is his hitting. Bench had 2,048 hits, 389 of which left the park, as the 14-time All-Star clubbed an impressive 267 batting average. To cap off the Reds, however, I do want to talk about one of their more recent Hall of Famers, Barry Larkin. Larkin played all 19 of his years in the majors with the Reds as he became one of the most impressive all-around players in the team's history. On top of his three gold gloves was nine silver sluggers and an MVP award for his troubles, which he had 158 hits in 131 games, leading to a 319 batting average that year. Oh, and did I mention that Barry Larkin's impressive... Oh, and did I mention Barry Larkin's unbelievable World Series stats from 1990? In that year that they won the World Series, Larkin hit 353 with a double, a triple, and an RBI in his six hits. Not too bad for the then 26-year-old Larkin. Now though, let's move on to the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have two players that immediately come to mind that really both helped to change baseball as we know it. And by that, of course I mean Honus Wagner and Roberto Clemente. Let's start with Honus. In his 18 years with the Pirates, he was unstoppable. 2,967 hits, 551 doubles, and 232 triples was good enough for a 328 batting average 
as well as a very impressive 394 on base percentage, making the very quick Wagner a common threat on the base paths. Actually, Honus was such a threat that he stole 723 bases in his career, the 10th best all time, and led the league in stolen bases five times. But what made Honus so special is the fact that he created runs and always got on base no matter what. I mean, after all, he had 963 walks and 2,424 singles, the eighth most in history. I mean, he was the definition of a team player. But I'm going to argue that there was one other player that just edges him out. Roberto Clemente played his entire 18-year career with the Pirates and made the most of his career, collecting exactly 3,000 hits as well as 240 home runs and a 317 batting average. Clemente had a good bat, for sure, but what really made him great was his work in right field. Clemente earned all 12 of his Gold Glove awards as he led the league defensively in a handful of different statistics. I mean, first off, he still holds the record for the most games played in right field with 2,305 games. And he's also got the second most putouts in the history in right field with 4,459. Oh, and he also has the second most assists in history as a right fielder with 255. But what made Clemente so great was his work off the field as well. I mean, after his untimely and unfortunate passing, an award was named after Clemente that would go every year to a player who best exemplifies the game of baseball, sportsmanship, community involvement, and the individual's contribution to his team. Because throughout his life, Clemente embodied all of those qualities. Finally, let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers the newest addition to the National League Central, and the youngest team in the group, with just 53 seasons under their belt. However, 53 seasons is still a pretty long time, and it's plenty long enough to still see some pretty impressive players come through the system. Two names, Robin Yoon and Paul Molitor, really stick out to me here, as the Hall of Fame duo spent a good amount of their careers playing with each other. Robin Ute played for 20 years in Milwaukee, collecting 3,142 hits and 251 home runs, as well as 1,406 RBIs and a 285 batting average. Paul Molitor, on the other hand, spent 15 of his 21 seasons with the Brewers and recorded 2,281 hits, 160 home runs, as well as 790 RBIs and a 303 batting average with them. Honestly, no matter what way you slice it, these two players were fantastic pieces of the history of the Brewers. And since they are so similar, it's kind of difficult to pick out the best of the two. I mean, if we're looking at career stats, the two are almost identical. I mean, both had over 3,000 hits, both had over 200 home runs, and both had 1,300 or more RBIs. But I think I still have to give the honors to the two-time MVP Robin Ewan. On top of playing his entire career with the Brewers, as he was actually drafted by the Brewers in the first round, Ewan actually has a better war. 
a 77.3 compared to Molitor's 75.7. Both of these players had some incredible luck with the Brewers, however, and really made it quite a difficult decision to make as far as the best of all time goes. But there we go. That was a look at the best players from each team in the National League Central. We have Cap Anson, Stan Musial, Pete Rose, Roberto Clemente, and Robin Yount as the top players from the division. An impressive class, indeed. So when we return from break, we'll move on to the third and final National League division, the National League East, and talk about the Atlanta Braves, the Miami Marlins, the New York Yankees, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Washington Nationals. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is DJ Asher. And this is DJ Dallas. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. Women's basketball, the team is in the middle of their season going 11-4, and losing their most recent game to the Lobos at Moby Arena, 85-74. to Their next games this week are against Utah State and Boise State. In men's basketball, the team is going 13-1, and beating San Jose State in California, 78-42. Their next games are against New Mexico for the state pride game and then Air Force. In track and field, the men's and women's teams competed in the POTS Invitational, and the Rams came home with four first-place finishes. Congrats to Tom Oates, Liam Mathers, Jalen Jasper, and Lauren Gale. In women's swim and dive, the team will be competing against Air Force and New Mexico on January 22nd at the Air Force Academy. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csurams.evenue.net to get tickets for upcoming softball, basketball, tennis, and more. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. Today, I'm joined by Piper Russell from The Collegian to discuss her article going over the new engineering program that CSU is supporting with the community college system. So before we get started with the story, can you explain a little bit about what the Colorado Community College System is and what exactly they do? Yeah, so the Colorado Community College System is made up of about 13 colleges, I think. And yeah, they just, including the Front Range Community College, and yeah, they just provide degrees and a bunch of different programs All right. for students. Awesome. And then can you tell us a bit about the project CSU and the Colorado Community College System are working on and what exactly the timeline for this new program is? Yeah, so CSU and the Colorado Community College System worked on creating a new associate's degree program for the engineering school. So students can basically do their first two years at community college and then transfer to CSU and be have it be guaranteed that their credits will transfer and they can just seamlessly move into the engineering program at CSU. All right. Did any local organizations like engineering firms support the creation of this new program? Yeah. So the company Woodward supported it. They hosted the signing ceremony and they also source a bunch of engineering talent from CSU and there are a bunch of things they work with with CSU. All right. And then the new program essentially will create the new associates program so that 
these students who intend to go to community college before transferring into CSU can for sure end up in the engineering program with all their prerequisites. How might that shift what the engineering program looks like in terms of demographics for the future? Yeah, so I think it'll make it possible for a lot more students to be able to come and do the engineering program at school at CSU could definitely create diversity and just allow more different types of students to um, do, do the engineering program. All right. And then about one third of CSU's current class transferred to CSU. How does this program encourage more transfer students and especially support non-traditional students entering STEM? Yeah, I definitely think it'll um, help encourage students to transfer because it makes it a lot easier and those students will know for sure that their credits will be able to transfer. All right. Thank you so much again for joining me today. Again, that was Piper Russell from The Collegian. And now we're going to be right back with Tech News. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to Tech News for Thursday, January 20th. Hundreds of accounts on Crypto.com were hacked, according to confirmation from CEO Chris Marzalek. According to Corinne Fife at The Verge, Crypto.com is a cryptocurrency exchange platform currently under fire for a lack of communication after hackers compromised information. Marzalek said in an interview with Bloomberg that about 400 accounts were compromised and regulators had not contacted him as of Wednesday about the breach. Prior to this interview, the company knew of users reporting breach-like activities on their accounts via Twitter. Marzalek confirmed that no customers lost any money as a result of the breach, which some believe means that the company will be taking on the financial burden of the attack. A minister in the Israeli cabinet dismissed previous claims that law enforcement in the country used NSO groups spyware on protesters and journalists. According to Ilan Ben-Zion from the Associated Press, a newspaper investigation reported use of the software by law enforcement previously in the country, with NSO Group unable to confirm or deny the allegations due to their decision to keep their clients confidential. NSO Group is an Israeli spyware company. Their software Pegasus has been used globally to monitor the activities of journalists, politicians, and activists. The software is banned in the U.S. A 13-mile-wide volcanic eruption may leave Tonga unable to communicate with the rest of the world for weeks while a cable is repaired. According to Rina Torchinsky at National Public Radio, the underwater volcano's eruption resulted in a 7.6 magnitude earthquake, destroying a fiber optic cable necessary for international communications. The Tongan government assured the public that operators were looking at other options to restore internet services while the cable is repaired, including the use of a satellite. The cable can only be repaired if a ship specializing in the repairs arrives from Papua New Guinea within two weeks. About 280 underwater cables allow for the majority of online global communications, and Tonga's cable has previously been damaged, leaving the country without most internet services for over a week in 2019. That's all for Tech News. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any part of today's episode, be sure to check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts by searching KCSU News. Today, we saw temperatures warm up a bit compared to yesterday with a high of 36 and a low of 24 with partly cloudy skies. Friday will be cloudy with a high of 41 and a low of 18, about a 20% chance of rain or snow. Saturday will be mostly sunny with a high of 40 and a low of 27, and Sunday will be warmer and sunny with a high of 49 and a low of 32. Monday will cool back down and clouds will roll back in with a high of 42 and a low of 21, and Tuesday you can expect partly cloudy skies with a high of 34 and a low of 19. 
And for Wednesday, tune in this Tuesday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Samuel Bailey, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie. And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.